Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Kaliole Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we remember the life of Talu Skyler Quinn. Feeding folks in need in her community was her life's work. The beloved founder of the Nashville Food Project died this year of brain cancer at just 42 years old. Before she died in February, Talu was able to finish writing her story. I am understanding that facing my own death requires an active release and deep letting go of nearly all I hold dearest to me. It is so, so hard. But at this threshold, I both marvel and wail in despair about all the love my life contains and how those experiences of love expressed continue to be so meaningful to me. Later this hour, we'll honor her life and legacy. But first, here at WPLN News, we've made housing coverage a priority for this quarter. Here to explain why and share what we can expect from this coverage is WPLN News Director Emily Siner. Hey, Emily, welcome to This is Nashville. Hey, Khalil. I'm excited to make my This is Nashville debut. It is your debut. This is going to be fun. So how did stories about housing become a major focus in coverage? Yeah, so this has come out of many months of conversation within the newsroom, and um, I have to really give our Metro reporter, Ambriel Crutchfield, credit for bringing this up to my attention at, at least a year ago. You know, she is our Metro reporter, and she'd asked to focus that beat on housing because there was so much going on. And she very quickly came back to me and said, like, this is more than just the Metro beat. There is so much happening. It affects everyone's beat in the newsroom like this needs to be something that we kind of tackle as a newsroom. And so as I, as I was thinking about priorities for 2022, housing just became a clear focus. So why is this emphasis important now? I think it's something that's always been important and, and we have reported on housing for many years, but it's also impossible to ignore right now, like how much the cost of housing is rising. We've seen from home price data, like single family home prices have gone up by 20% over the past year. Rents have gone up by 20% over the past two years. Personally, I feel like this is all I hear about. Like I, you know, every conversation that I'm having with friends and coworkers, hope, trying to buy homes or finding a place to rent is something that um, oh, I, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about. And I think we all know people like that. I should also say, like, just in an effort for some self-awareness, like this, I think this is now hitting people who are in middle and upper income brackets harder than they were before. And, and I think that is part of why, like, the community is paying more attention to it. Someone uh, that we talked to last night actually, you know, pointed out that low-income immigrant communities have been facing these same kind of issues for years and have been facing displacement and sounding the alarm for years. Um, so we're kind of trying to catch up now. Now, last night, you mentioned, you know, WPLN News hosted a listening session of community members to hear their housing concerns. What else did you learn from that? Uh, yeah, it was great. We had a, we, we invited a, a great group of people who had really uh, diverse backgrounds in terms of like some people were um, 
dealing directly with housing issues that they were affected by. Some people were involved in policy, some we had realtors and um, advocates, and we were looking for anything from trends, um, anomalies, solutions, and just kind of questions that people had. And I think what uh, one of the big takeaways is that there just seems to be this lack of education around housing. Like, I, you know, people don't exactly understand how it works and who makes what decisions when it comes to things like zoning or affordable housing policies. Um, there's not a lot of information about what programs are already out there to help people. Uh, you know, so I think being a resource is something that kind of like, like that idea is something that was really reinforced last night for us. Ruby Baker is president of the Bordeaux Hills Neighborhood Association. She was at last night's listening session, and she said that this moment reminds her of another crisis in the city's history. The emotional support for the children that are now in an unstable environment, new friends, new a whole new situation, it reminded me of the same impact that the May 2010 flood had on the children. And everybody was focused on the adults and the home being repaired and restored, but the children had to keep moving. Emily, what do you make of that? I really loved that because, you know, I think the idea of housing affordability, like, or or the kind of uh, lack of housing affordability is an issue that's happening in so many American cities right now. Um, But I loved Ruby kind of taking this to uh, Nashville's experience in particular. And I think it just shows to me, like, you know, to the point that Embriel brought up to me last year, that this intersects with so many other issues. Like Ruby's talking about education, but it also, uh, like housing is an environmental issue and it is a healthcare issue and it's even a criminal justice issue. And, um, and I think it just kind of like, it makes me really excited to take on this work with the expertise that we have within the newsroom from a variety of different angles. So what type of impact are you hoping the coverage will have? I mean, I think after last night, I feel it's a little bit daunting to think about like tackling the housing crisis. And I don't have any illusions that journalism can fix everything. Like, you know, we don't propose new laws. We don't put money behind particular ideas. But I do think that we can make a difference. I, I think uh, we can empower the community by giving you information and answering your questions and providing resources and just like helping you wrap your head around what's happening. I, I think that is like information is powerful. We're also in a position to ask questions of people in power and help guide change so that when people come to us and they say, you know, why is this the way it is? We have the ear of people in power and can ask those questions. Um, and like at our core, I mean, I think this this is sort of at the heart of the, the entire focus, like at our core, journalism is about reflecting back what is happening in, in our community. We can document what's happening and provide a snapshot of this moment. And, and that is powerful, too. So what can listeners expect from this coverage? Well, uh, we're going to start rolling out stories uh, next week. So just in general, you'll definitely be hearing and reading more stories about housing in the coming months. Um, And then we're kind of trying to figure out which pieces to go a lot deeper into. We have just incredible talent in the newsroom and I'm really excited to uh, let reporters showcase their their work. Um, 
you know, someone's working on an investigation into some housing practices, someone's working on unpacking city and state housing policies. So what I hope is that, you know, by the, the end of the summer, like, if you're following our coverage, you're really going to get a sense of uh, what is happening and why and what can be done about it. In my few months of being here in Nashville, I've had an unofficial poll of how people feel about housing. And I could say the consensus is that the rent is too damn high. <laughs> I don't think you're the only one on that. I think uh, I think that is something that is shared by a lot of people. Yes. Emily Siner is the newsroom director at WPLN News. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Khalil. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll reflect on the legacy of Talu Schuyler Quinn. The founder of the Nashville Food Project was a beacon of hope for the community. She died a few months ago at 42. Tweet us your memories of Talu at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Kind, loving, brilliantly creative, and dedicated to serving her community. These are some of the terms friends and colleagues use to describe Talu Schuyler Quinn, the founder of the Nashville Food Project, who passed away in February. Before she died, Talu was able to finish writing her book, What We Wish Were True, which comes out today. It's a memoir about her life and work and how she faced her terminal diagnosis. To get a better sense of the service she dedicated her life to, I'd like to invite a few folks who worked closely with her at the Nashville Food Project. Terry Sloan is the COO of the Nashville Food Project and Bianca Morton serves as chef director. I'd like to thank you both for being with us today. You know, I want to say, also express from us here at This Is Nashville, that we're deeply sorry for your loss. Terry, let me start with you. For those who may not be familiar, how did Talu come to launch the Nashville Food Project? Yeah, we have kind of a, a winding history at the Food Project. We actually started in, in 2007 as a local branch of an Austin, Texas-based nonprofit called Mobile Loaves and Fishes. And it kind of bounced around for a couple of years from in different churches being run by volunteers until Tulu was hired on in 2009 to be the director. And she brought with her this incredible knowledge about community food systems and uh, urban agriculture and sustainability and really just kind of brought her passions and her knowledge all together to transform the organization into you know, something that was very different from its early days of sack lunches being distributed in tent cities. How you know, we actually became the Nashville Food Project in 2011. So how did you two first meet? We first met actually through church. Um, I met her through the young adults group at Woodmont Christian Church where she was leading a women's Bible study group. Uh, I actually met her at her home at the time in in South Nashville and I still remember meeting her that night we were all sitting on her living room floor and she pulled out a stack of papers and some colored pencils and put on some music and told everyone to draw what they felt called to draw and I immediately knew this was a very different person 
um, and I was in the presence of someone very unique. You know, Bianca, you had a serendipitous entry to the Nashville Food Project. You know, tell us about interviewing with Talu. Oh my, um, it was like an interview like no other. Um, it was very casual, it was very intentional. And somehow it was almost like we had known each other for a lifetime. Um, Tulu made it a habit of like being able to see who you were without you even knowing who you were. And what struck out for me is, especially coming from someone who did not know about the Nashville Food Project or the work that Tulu had committed to and had just taken a chance on applying for a job, she made sure that she wrote down every single last one of my kids' names and made sure that she had um, all their spelling. She asked about their birthdays, their likes, their dislikes. And I have never had an interview that was so intentional and so personal. Um, and I think that was just like a true window into what working with her was going to be like. Tell me a little bit more about what it was like to work with her. Oh, it was fierce. It was evolving. It was like a catalyst, um, like a light. Um, Tulu was very passionate. Um, her presence, she can light up a room. Um, she can encourage anybody with just a look, a smile. Um, I think for me, it was just a true honor to just be able to like be under her tutelage and kind of grow those aspects of me that I did not even realize I, I was looking for or that I had in me, but it's something that I had been searching for throughout my whole culinary career. That sounds wonderful. Now, I want to know, how, how did you all adapt to the ups and downs of work at the Nashville Food Project? Terry. Oh, that's such a big question. <laughs> I guess I feel like the entire time I've been with the Food Project, which is about six and a half years, it's always been ups and downs. Um, and really, I think that it's just a testament to who Tulu was. You know, she was not someone who was ever happy to kind of rest on her laurels. There was always something more and bigger that we could be doing. And and so we just always were ready to tackle the next the next new big thing so whether it was building our own building and figuring out what that meant um, raising the money to do that expanding in massive ways all coming together to meet the needs of the community after after the tornado and then immediately kind of going into lockdown in the uh, beginning of the pandemic and then later on that year with Toulouse diagnosis and navigating through all of that, um, I think so much of how she led this organization was to be ready for anything and everything and that has really served us well as an organization since her diagnosis and, and since everything that the last several years has, has brought for us as an organization and our community. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're honoring the life and legacy of Tulu Schuyler Quinn, the founder of the Nashville Food Project, with two of her former colleagues, Terry Sloan and Bianca Morton. You know, Tulu earned a lot of recognition, including a book deal with Penguin Random House. Her book, What We Wish Were True, comes out today. New York Times columnist Margaret Rankle, who's been a guest of ours, described it as a memoir of an extraordinary person living an extraordinary life of service. Bianca, 
I understand you have a passage from Tulu's book you'd like to read. What are you going to share with us? Oh, you know, it was so hard to pick which was going to be like what resonated with me the most because this is like a must read from start to finish, um, the way it captivates you and in the way it makes you feel like she's at home um, with you. But I am going to read a passage from Ordained by Something Else. Um, okay, here we go. I am not ordained by the church proper, but I think about all the hands who have blessed and ordained me at my job over the years. The brilliant farmers of the refugee garden program. Judy's recipe for her mom's meatballs scribbled on a brown paper sack. David's gloved hands as he pulls in flats of berries and Kia stitching up a wounded chicken. The thousands who have handed over delicious, nutritious meals to thousands of people in my community. The hundreds of devoted volunteers who wash lettuce, chop sweet potatoes, and fuel up the food trucks. Every one of us has hands to mend a blanket or ladle soup from a pot. There are those that are ordained by the community of the church and those ordained by the grit and grime of life. My laying on of hands has just been the day-to-day -day of ordinary work alongside extraordinary friends, which I believe is sacred in and of itself. And we wipe those hands on the ragged and faded dish towels from the kitchen cupboard, the stoles that mark our identities. Cooking meals and sharing good food isn't something I do. It's at the core of who I am. Through the basic and uncomplicated work, I feel I've been pulled into the calling that is my deepest desire, God ordained and community affirmed. It's not a traditional calling, but it is an authentic one. Wiping, drying, wrapping, mopping. We toil with the cloth in hand to tend and engage each other, ordained by something else. That's beautiful. Bianca, tell me, why did you choose that passage? Uh, I chose it because it really spoke to what Tulu kind of revealed in me. It spoke to the laughter, the excitement, the pivoting, the thrill of the day-to-day -day work that we're doing here at the Nashville Food Project. It spoke to the many hands doing mighty work. Um, I think this this passage for me just kind of encompasses all things Tulu, especially when we're gathered together in communities. Terry, what comes to mind when you hear that passage? Oh, it's such a beautiful passage. And I think I'm initially struck with knowing all of the people that she's mentioning and and just reflecting on what the past several years have been like with this amazing team with Tulu at the, the helm of leadership. Um, I think so much of of the spirit that she brought to this work did kind of straddle this interesting interesting place of of ministry and and just kind of community work um, in this way that uh, you know, of course, as she said, she wasn't ordained by the church, but there was something on another level and special about her and the way that she approached this work and and the feeling that you got just from being in the presence of her and and this organization and its community. I think it's so encapsulated by that beautiful passage. So, you know, where do you both see, where do you still see her fingerprint? at the Food Project. Bianca. 
I think it, I see it every day in our resilience, just to keep moving forward. Um, and the dedication of longtime volunteers like that have been here for the very beginning. So the whole 10 years and like seeing those people on a daily basis, I see Toulouse imprint in every meal, um, in every handshake, in every like smile with your eyes that's hidden behind a mask. Um, I, I, I see it everywhere we walk. Um, and most importantly, we have created this safe place for her um, in our office. And I think it just permeates the air. I don't think it's any way to kind of escape um, that feeling of her being with us at all times. Terry? Yeah, I think for me, it's there's a phrase that Talu often talked about. Um, she said that with fiercest hope, we believe that people in situations can change. That's a part of our organizational value statements as well. And I think that phrase of fierce hope is something that is so Tulu to me and is the thing that I see in everything that this organization does and see her through this balancing of that fierceness of hope, of choosing to be hopeful, not ignoring the difficulties of the world um, and pretending they don't exist, but acknowledging those things. And in the face of that, choosing to be hopeful and choosing to take action. You both mentioned how her presence was something that was able to lift both of you up. Talk to me real quick about how she was able to resonate with like people who came to volunteer at the Food Project. Terry. <laughs> yeah, I think I think her presence was was so integral to so many people. I, I think if you asked asked the myriads of people, the hundreds of people that have engaged in this work over the years, Tulu and her presence and and the DNA that she brought to the organization is such a critical part of that. The the welcoming spirit, the the joy, but also um, the you know unflinching courage to face the hard parts of life all of that mixed together i think is such a huge part of why so many people choose to be a part of this work be it volunteers staff community members i think all of anyone that you ask why they enjoy and why they give back to the food project they would say something either about Tulu or would describe her without even knowing it. Bianca, what will you take with you from your experience knowing and working with Tulu? Oh, there are so many things and I'm trying to keep it together because even just like talking about her um, has a way of just like washing over you. Um, but um, I think for myself, I am I am taking her presence and her love, her humility, her hospitality, um, and mostly uh, her hospitality because her definition of it was about the ability to be a guest and a host. Um, and I'm taking that with me in everything that I do from the menus we plan, the food that we, we prepare, the meals that we pass out and share, but also how we engage each other um, because we do have the ability 
to be both guest and host in everything that we do. That is Bianca Morton and Terry Sloan from the Nashville Food Project. Thank you both for coming onto the show and sharing your memories of Tulu. We have to take a short break. We'll pick up the conversation honoring the life and legacy of Talu Skylar Quinn with her husband, Robbie Quinn, and her chaplain. Tweet us your memories of Talu at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. And this is Nashville. We've been reflecting this hour on the life and legacy of Talu Schuyler Quinn. The founder of the Nashville Food Project dedicated her life to serving her community. Talu was diagnosed in 2020 with terminal brain cancer. After that, she entered a grueling treatment plan to help give her as much time as possible. Near the end of her life, she couldn't see well, couldn't read, and was forgetting many things including some of the people closest to her. She started writing about her experience in her book, What We Wish Were True, out today from Penguin Random House. We wanted to play a piece excerpted from the audiobook of What We Wish We Were True, were true by Talu Schuyler Quinn, and it's read by Allison Ryan and Talu Schuyler Quinn. I am understanding that facing my own death requires an active release and deep letting go of nearly all I hold dearest to me. It is so, so hard, but at this threshold, I both marvel and wail in despair about all the love my life contains and how those experiences of love expressed continue to be so meaningful to me. But it's in this way that profoundly Blessedly, unexpectedly, my broken heart is saving me. Decisions are clarified. Relationships are repaired. Attention is focused. And we are sharing more truthfully. It is not perfect, but it is courageous. Ganila Norris writes, Honor the heart that can feel the joy and the terror of the world in you and in me. Only what is truly human can walk this path, walk through, and be constant. Bow to that heart. My life has been and continues to be full of extraordinary gifts. The curved pinky fingers that look just like my dad's, the milk from my mother's chest, the profound love I feel for my two brothers, the food that sustains us, the friendship that buoys us, the trees that purify our air so we can breathe it, the animals who are slain for our nourishment, my children whose voices delight in the body of my beloved. I am dying young of a tenacious, insidious, incurable brain cancer. But God is everywhere, 
for a loan is a myth. Talu's husband, Robbie Quinn, joins me now. Robbie, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Khalil. You know, my, my deepest sympathies for your loss. Thank you. How does, how does it make you feel to hear her voice telling her story? It feels familiar. It reminds me of so many conversations we've had and so many people who seem to be attracted to her voice also. Um, people who had come up to her after speeches or sermons. One person just said, I could listen to you read the phone book. So I, I love hearing it. You know, given all that Tilly was going through, how did this book actually happen? She, like so many things, just willed it to be. She got to writing pretty quickly after she stepped down from the Nashville Food Project, and it was a release for her and a way to process what was going on. But she was hoping it could also come together as a project, and it was something she had always wanted to do, although maybe not under these circumstances. And she would wake up in the middle of the night and be sleepless from one of her medicines for treatment and dictate into her phone, or she'd have her dad read an essay back to her, and she just kept reflecting and, and kept writing. Why was it so important for her to finish this book? I think there, you know, we never really talked about it, but I think it was important for her because she was such a reader of books, appreciated poetry, and such a person of words that she saw an opportunity for her to really engage with the meaning of what she was going through and where she was headed and to help other people through her words who might be encouraged or might identify with something that she said. You know, I can imagine this is a big day for your family to see this book come out. Tell me, what does it mean to you? It makes me feel like even though it's been two months since she died, the community that had supported us for the last two years and the people uh, that know her and that I can connect to through her are still around. And that there's even others that might be able to connect to her and our family too. So it definitely makes me feel like we're not alone. And it helps me and our kids, Lula and Thomas, um, just understand what's happened and honestly get help from her to try to engage and figure out with what we need to do now and how we go on. You know, you, you mentioned Lula and Thomas, your kids. How are they doing? They're doing okay. Uh, they are so proud of this book, and they miss Tulu. Um, but I think that this book and our family, Tulu's family, and our community and have all come together to help them understand what's happening and that it's going to be okay. And uh, there are ups and downs for sure, but they are um, 
doing as best they can for a seven and nine year old. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in reading up about this, I know that they kind of participated in the burial ceremony by by pouring some of the last bits of dirt on Toulouse gravesite. Did they talk to you about that and what that how that felt to them? A little bit. You know, the younger one, Thomas, has more words about everything than Lula, and he definitely was proud to carry the shovel that helped uh, put a lot of dirt on top of Toulouse's body that was shrouded. Um, and Lula was, was proud to be up there and speak about her mom, too. And so even though everyone up there, uh, her family and us, were really confronting that moment of putting her body in the ground. I think for them to be able to see us come together and for them to be able to participate in it meant a lot to them. Toulouse chaplain Scott Owings is here with us. Scott, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Can you tell us about your relationship with Toulouse? Yeah, uh, Toulouse and I met uh, at a funeral uh, maybe six or seven years ago, and just kind of became fast friends. We were serving bread together, and uh, we just sort of hit it off with a with a with a deep conversation, and then began to uh, yeah go for walks and just have conversations about a number of different things. I understand you held a small retreat back in September. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, back in September, uh, after I had Robbie let me read a, a draft of, uh, of the book and was just profoundly moved by it, she's an incredible writer. And, uh, and so the idea was, what if we, a group of us met for a retreat and, and used some of her writings as sort of our retreat topics? And uh, she was actually able to come to the retreat for part of the time and her presence was profound and and uh, we we just sort of talked about a couple of the the chapters and you know her even though at that time she was definitely you know had lost some of her her memory she was still very much to Lou with her strong beautiful presence and maybe most of all demonstrating that even in the midst of death, uh, that love is present. You know, tell me about a little bit more about that. You know, you've been with many people at the end of life. Like seeing that experience, love being present when, when death is at the door. What did you learn? What else did you learn from Tulu? Yeah, I mean, I think death is is our greatest test, and uh, here on Earth, and it's so easy to be afraid and to maybe uh, avoid thinking about it or talking about it. But one of the things that I, you know, experience with Tolu is just her honesty and vulnerability as she was facing her own death. And this teaching me, you know, just how, uh, yeah, how God and, and love, and as Robbie mentioned, family, uh, 
were there for her and she talked about it with with such grace and kindness and uh, really you know i guess um showing me that her i mean I, I wish she were here just hearing her voice moves me but you know i think maybe her greatest gift certainly one of her greatest gifts was how she died so with truth and beauty and honesty um and vulnerability at that retreat you used the chapter in her book watermark why did you choose that chapter well, it's hard to decide which ones to choose, but the, the chapter about Watermark uh, was really moving to me because it spoke to one of Toulouse's superpowers, which is um, the ability to see other people and, you know, just how each person is unique and special and created with all sorts of gifts. And I feel like Tulu is so good at at seeing other people and calling out their their gifts and their their belovedness and she did that with me she uh saw me and got me like very few people ever have and so for us to have this discussion as a group there are about 20 people talking about how important it is to to be our truest and best self and to to actually call that out in other people as well. Um, I don't know, it was, it was felt very meaningful and profound for all of us who were there. You know, Robbie, you and Talu chose natural burial at Larkspur and she was buried in a brightly colorful shroud. Tell me how that came to be. Well, as, as Scott described her approach to her death, one of her friends said, you know, you may feel like you're not in control of much, but one thing you can control is planning. And so mm -hmm. she was able to think through dying and death. And one of, um, one of the most amazing gifts through family that she had was her cousin Margot, who just happened to be in the process of studying to be a death doula and was also a weaver and also knew of Larkspur and took it on herself to uh, weave Tulu's burial shroud after asking her about it. So she wove this multicolored shroud that right after Tulu died, um, my son Thomas um, put on her body and then she was wrapped in it. And then when we saw her at Larkspur, before we buried her, we tucked pictures in her shroud and it just gave so much grace and beauty to her body, who she is and was and, and what was happening. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. This hour, we're honoring the life and legacy of Talu Schuyler Quinn, the founder of the Nashville Food Project. You know, Robbie, I know you want to share a passage from her book with us. What are you going to read to us? I'm going to read a chapter called Some of What It Might Be Like. Some of What It Might Be Like. It might be like I'm a waxy leaf, rushing downstream, following the curve of the water, flipping, tumbling, 
somersaulting down the watershed, a delight in the water. Or a graceful and deep-throated pelican, joining its companions in a perfect V of flight, falling into formation, circling over our beloved Jekyll Island, dipping down for an early fish at the first pang of hunger. Or maybe I will be cosmic, a ball of light, a star in the night sky, obvious and out loud, wayfinding, unapologetic, shooting. Or maybe I will be a song, golden words rolling off of someone's tongue, a tune anyone can hum. Or maybe I will be the ear who hears it. Or a sturdy stick hewn by nature, the height of a man, found in the forest by some hiker needing a third leg of support. Not precious, but perfect. Or as some tenacious perennial herb, comfrey maybe, driving its deep taproot into the soil, devoting my energy to making a flush of new dark leaves and purple blossoms, medicine for the earth. Or maybe a wide quilt, large enough to cover a multitude, made from cotton rags and worn denim, heavy and laid over a soldier terrified of war. Or a crop of corn, an heirloom maize that has been saved and planted for centuries, dense nutrition for a whole community, and there is always enough. Or a box turtle, lounging on a log to get as much of that hot sun, patient to get my fill of heat, content to go slow, content with only what I need and nothing more or a feathery asparagus patch, spears pushing up stronger and thicker year over year, outrageous green beauty, order beneath chaos, or maybe I will be the forest floor, sweet, damp, constantly renewing itself through death and decomposition. Maybe we become all of this and more. Hearing that, really gives me a sense, you know, everyone's speaking about how Tolu was able to look at someone and to see them. And it feels like she sees the whole, like she is a part of this planet, this universe, and we're all connected to each other when I hear you read that. Mm. I love that. You know, you mentioned to our producer that someone dies earlier than normal. You realize how many dimensions that to their life that there are. What have you learned about Toulouse since her death? Well, there were spots of her life that uh, had names and stories that I'd always heard. And this process, although it's been hard to see her pass, has been full of people coming together who I'd never met or never really connected with, new friendships. Uh, I heard about her uh, time in New York City in seminary and uh, all the friends she met there that she remained connected to but are now a lot closer to our family and uh, heard a lot about just how hard it was for her to, even though we talk about her now as this complete person, uh, hear her calling and work towards and pursue what she wanted to do. Were there any surprises? Um, when, when my uncle passed many years ago, I, got, I learned a lot about him, learned a lot about my father 
you know, from the friends and people I never knew. Any surprises to Tolu that you you heard and you said suddenly to yourself, oh, I completely see that. <laughs> so many. Um, so many people kind of came to tell me new stories. Um, a, a cousin of mine who lives in France uh, sent me a message that Tolu in Persian means sunrise. Mm. And that really helped me on a hard day. Um, but there's something about connecting with someone I don't know, but who we share Tolu together with that helps me know, even just through a gesture, that we're connected. You mentioned this earlier about how she struggled to kind of find her service path. You know, tell us a little bit more about, I knew it wasn't always the plan for her. How did she find it? Well, she had a lot of questions when she left seminary, when she graduated. And she began to work for um, basically activists and movements, uh, the Poor People's Campaign, uh, not necessarily as a speaker or um, an activist, but she went along um, feeding people, working in the kitchens. And from that perspective, from the kitchen, she was able to understand more about what she wanted her role to be, maybe not uh, in the pulpit, um, maybe not um, purely activism, but something food-related that sort of was a combination of all those. And it, to her, didn't seem like it existed yet, which made her getting to a point where she could really put time and effort into that kind of work more difficult, but I think she found it. I can hear in your voice that you loved your wife immensely. And <laughs> I was going to ask you how you two met, but what I'm more interested in is what type of extraordinary feats did you accomplish to impress her? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, one of her chemotherapy nurses looked at me one time and said, you're really smart for marrying her. <laughs> we were old friends from high school and... Um, we got reconnected. We both ended up back in Nashville, even though we uh, didn't think we would be. And uh, after we reconnected, she left and began working in Nicaragua. But we kept up a um, as pen pals. She invited me to be her pen pal. And so we wrote letters. And um, then her time there was sh um, cut short, and she ended up back in Nashville. So I must have had something special in those letters. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel when you saw her again? Felt good. You know, she just has this way of making you feel seen, which um, really helped me. And then we grew a family together. It's really wonderful. I want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing about this remarkable, remarkable human being. I know you must feel just grateful and incredibly proud. Definitely. And I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you, Khalil. Yeah. Thank you very much, Robbie. Really appreciate it. Robbie Quinn is the husband of Talu Schuyler Quinn. He was joined by Chaplain Scott Owings, Robbie and Scott. Again, thank you both for being here and sharing with us your love for Talu. Today, we're going to go out on a song Talu recorded with her dad shortly after she was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2020. We set the stones, gathered as we 
We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A. of Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna gallegos Camp. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Margot Kloniger. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. Thank you.